This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're going to be talking streaming platforms today and uh, we're talking about a new streaming platform about to launch in Australia, Paramount+. Plus. Now, we've gone straight to the top for our guests today. No mucky ground. We've got the co-leads for Viacom CBS in Australia and New Zealand, Beverly McGarvey and Jared Villani. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us, James. Thanks, James. Great yeah. to join you. Yeah, good to be talking to you, Bev. We, Media Week readers may be a bit more familiar with you than they are with Jared. Now, as well as being co-leads, you both have separate titles, Bev. I think you're still Chief Content Officer and Executive Vice President, and Jared, you're Chief Operating Officer and Commercial Officer. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, it's the longest job title in the world, but uh, <laughs> thanks, James. You did very well. <laughs> now, just just talk to us a little bit about Paramount Plus. Is, there's already a lot of streaming services in the market here. Now, I guess now, am I right in thinking Paramount Plus will replace Ten All Access? Um, yes, it will replace Ten All Access. Ten All Access has obviously been around for a while and has all that great CBS content on it. Paramount Plus is really um, a different beast altogether. Um, when we're not launches next week, it will have a lot of original content, lots of movies, lots of local originals, um, and all the brands that kind of sit within that Viacom CBS universe, including Showtime, MTV, Nickelodeon, Smithsonian, all of that great content, and then the local content. So um, it was, you know, All Access was a great product, but Paramount Plus is really um, designed to compete uh, at a much um, more intense level with all the other streaming platforms in the market. Um, Jared, I might ask this you you this one. The, the there hasn't been a lot about Tenel Access recently. I'm guessing that's because you knew Paramount Plus was coming, and it was probably a bit strange to promote a, a brand that was soon to disappear. Yes, Paramount Plus has been in the planning for well over 12 months. Um, arguably, the last 18 months, uh, it's obviously been rolled out uh, internationally over the course of 2021, uh, with more countries to come online across some. Um, Viacom, uh, CBS International. So really excited about the product and um, and indeed, you know, all access has continued to be a, a great product, um, playing to a niche market over over the course of this year, but um, absolutely all of our attention has, has been transferring into Paramount Plus. Um, as I mentioned, there's already quite a few players in a space here and there's, there's more to come. Does it matter much that and is it correct to say it's a relatively late entry to the market here? And I say that in thinking that a lot of people have already invested money in other platforms, perhaps. If they don't have, you know, spare cash, they're going to have to drop one platform to take on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, I think... Um I think our offering comes at a time where we can really offer the broadest content slate that we can. And um, of course, there are lots of great streaming products already in the market. The entry price from our point of view is very competitive. It's $8.99. So we definitely think there's a large market of people who will be really interested in that broad entertainment and sport offering for $8.99. So we think there is definitely a place for Paramount Plus. Um, and in terms of us coming to the market now, we are coming to the market at a time where we can offer a full suite of content as opposed to potentially going too early with not a full suite or or whatever that looks like. So I think um, there's definitely lots of Australians who have multiple streaming services and we think that they can make room for Paramount+. Plus. 
And, and ultimately, James, our mindset around that is if you deliver a great product, and we think from a content perspective, we absolutely have that. We'll have one of the broadest um, content slates available in the market. And not only that currently, but that will continue to build um, through you know, our global um, production houses. Um, we have guaranteed supply of content, which I think stands us in really good stead into the future. And ultimately, we know that if we deliver a great product to um, to viewers, that, uh, that they will make their um, choices with their... Um, resources into the future. Yes. Is there is there much sort of research about the willingness that people have to subscribe um, in terms of, you know, that, that you do see an opening there, that there's sort of enough enough people who, who might, you know, either want one more or be looking for a replacement for something else? Yeah, I think that the research that we have does tell us that, you know, people will spend, um, you know, that level on a, an entertainment product um, on top of one or two that they already have um, or potentially instead of one or two or three that they already have. Australians are early adopters. They really like their streaming services. Um, there's already a lot of streaming services and a lot of subscriptions out there. So our research does tell us that there's certainly space for Paramount Plus to, you know, get in that top segment of the streaming um, marketplace. I think you'd agree with that, Jared. Yeah, I would, and I think that whilst we do have a, a number of average subscriptions per household at a moderate um, to high level, it certainly still lags the US. Um, and I think that um, it's not all—it's not all just about how many streaming services they can, but what's the total cost of those streaming services per household, um, and what value do they get in return um, for for that offering. It's interesting when you, I mean, Netflix has been the sort of, I guess, set the pace for, for, for a lot of people. I think if if you did a survey, I think the well, Netflix would be in the most Australian households, I guess, by far. Uh, what they seem to have done, it's as much about um, quality as quantity. You've just got to keep it coming, which gives people a feeling, I guess, that they're getting value for their money, even if they're not watching everything. And, you know, that's... From, from what I can see so far, Paramount Plus is, has realised that because you're having dropping plenty of announcements about what's coming. Is that part of it? You've just got to, you know, tell people that do subscribe that, look, there is lots of stuff and there is always going to be refreshes of the content? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely part of it. So, you know, it's eight ninety nine a month. That's a pretty competitive price point. And I think what we need to be sure of that there's always two or three or four series that you want to watch so that, you know, you want to stay next month and the month after. And obviously we're dropping a lot of content next week upon launch. But in the month that comes and every month after that, there will be lots of marquee content that can constantly rolls out and refreshes, as well as that really deep library of CBS, Nickelodeon, MTV. So I think it's important to have that acquisition content that brings um, audiences and subscribers to the service, but also once they're there, that there's a really deep and engaging body of content to keep you. So I think balancing those things are, you know, that's really important. And having that, that pipeline coming through consistently is I think where we, you know, the benefit of us being part of that big global kind of content um, company really helps the service. Is the, is the target wider than the TV business? Because I know pretty much I think you, you call Tenor sort of it's a premium service 
for for younger people perhaps or young at heart and but Paramount Plus seems to be a, a bit more of an offering for all ages. Yeah, I'd say that true. I think the streaming service is really interesting. We would consider Paul Paramount Plus um, like um, a broad streaming service that appeals to everyone, um, you know, with a particular lean for a variety of reasons into that family audience, because we obviously have things like um, Nick and Nick Jr. But also the, the beauty of a streaming service is that you can service everyone in a very particular way. So, for example, we've commissioned a movie called Six Festivals. It's um, starring three kind of 15, 16 year olds coming, coming of age bucket list story about three teenagers going to six Australian music festivals with original Australian music set in festivals. Now, that is not the sort of thing that we can put on 10 at 7.30 on a Wednesday night and expect to track a big, broad audience. But it is the sort of content that's really important for Australian audiences. And it's important for that that age of demographic to be served. So I think Paramount Plus allows us to serve a broader audience with more um, sort of bespoke offering. And, And that's a really interesting opportunity and allows you to do a lot more with your content portfolio. Has there, there seems to be maybe to a bit of a strategy that if there is a point of difference, one of them could be uh, movies, because I guess you've already mentioned something you've commissioned, but I guess the, the parent company has a, has a brilliant uh, library of movies that you can pull on. Yeah, movies are a point of difference. And obviously, um, Paramount is, you know, a very prolific um, studio. So we will have um, we will have that moving forward. We have also bought some third party movies from other um, key partners, um, such as Warner Brothers. So movies are important, I think. Yeah, that you mentioned purchasing content, the how much. Uh, do you have funds? How much? How different will the Australian offering be? Apart, obviously, from the Australian commissions, but will is like Paramount Plus securing global rights for lots of its content that you can access, or do you, or will you be sort of buying separately sometimes for Australia? Both. So um, sometimes we have a. a, a- a content global streaming lead um, and Doug and his team do do global deals for content that'll fall into all of the different um, Paramount Pluses across the world, but also for a variety of reasons to do with the complexity of the right situations. We do also buy um, content for Australia and we buy um, an Australian only deal. So the, the service, as you'll see it next week, will have originals and library content from all of our owned and operated brands. It will have third-party content from a range of sources and it will have locally commissioned original content. So it will have it will have content from everywhere. Now Jared is the um, top commercial officer in the um, in the um, business. Will this be completely ad-free? Are there any opportunities for par- commercial partnerships at Paramount Plus? A general entertainment offering will be ad-free. Um, there is no plans or intentions to to alter that. As it relates to sporting sporting rights, that will be a little bit different. That will all be included um, on the platform also, but this will only relate to sporting live streams specifically. It will carry a light ad load. Um, so yes, there will be opportunities absolutely for um, corporate um, partners, advertising partners, and the response from the market has been excellent in that regard. Just while we're on sport then, what what's the sort of, you, you've got a sporting presence to start with, with the A-League, the W-League, um, some international football, and gee, we've seen how well the football's performing for, for seven during the Olympics, so I guess that gives you some some heart that, you know, you, you've got a sport that does 
connect with a lot of people. But um, is there an ambition to to grow a portfolio of sports or is a, is a couple of key things going to be enough? Our ambition is to be a good partner with the sporting bodies for which we think are tactically and strategically important to our business, um, whether that be Paramount Plus or um, Network 10 or any other platforms for which we may look to in the future. So partnership is really critical for us. Growth opportunities are really critical for us. But that will be a tactical and strategic consideration, as indeed the A-League, W-League and, and Football Australia rights ha- have been um, over the last uh, few months. Yeah. And I guess when you when you go back, sport is a is even though it's a small smallish part of the offering to start with, it's it's critical to that eight ninety nine I guess because other platforms you know and you you think about um, um, Ko and you think about um, Stan Sport, they're both sort of uh, add ons to a, a bigger package where you get everything for the one price I guess. Yes, I mean we we see that the sports offering as part of this this package is um, a critical part of it, um, but effectively sports fans are obtaining that for free as part of our general entertainment portfolio. Um, so we think it's a it's it offers incredible value um, across the board, irrespective of what your interests are. Absolutely for sporting fans, but indeed um, for those who come to us for other reasons also. Yeah. Um, Bev, maybe the the when you first thought of launching this, I guess COVID really wasn't around. Um, you seem to have maybe pretty much stuck to your delivery schedule. H- have you been impacted by um, COVID on any of the programs you would have liked to have up when you launch next week? Um, honestly, we have most mostly everything that we would like to have had. You know, maybe one or two of our local originals are a few months behind where we'd like them to be. But I think every media company, every broadcaster and production company, in fact, every business in the country has been impacted by COVID. And we have been relatively unscathed in terms of our planning. And I think, you know, the the industry here have been very clever in how they've managed to operate with very safe COVID safe protocols. So effectively, this is the launch as we had envisioned, envisaged it with a couple of tweaks. But it by lar- by and large, we've got most of the things that we hope to have and a few extras. You've um, now five bedrooms is your is your flagship Aussie production, I guess, when you launch um, on August 11. One of the things you've teasingly dropped in a couple of releases is Last King of the Cross, which mm. we, which we don't know much about. At this stage, what else can you tell us about Last King of the Cross? Well, we're currently writing it. It's not, it's not quite into production yet. So that's something that will come through next year. But it is based on John Abraham's book, um, which obviously I think you know what it is. And it's a, it's a story of um, kind of, it's it's the story of John Abraham from being a young man through um, his entire life until where he is now. Um, so really we, we see it as a very Australian story and it's got lots of iconic characters and iconic locations in it that I think people will understand. It also tells the story from a particular point of view and I think it'll tell the story in a way that we haven't seen it told before. Um, and I think the important thing about Last King of the Cross, when you add it with spreadsheet, five bedrooms, um, six festivals, and we've got some, um, well, quite a few announcements coming about other originals, I think you'll see what we're trying to do is appeal to 
lots of different groups of particular Australian audiences, whether it be younger women or older women or a male audience or a family audience or, you know, a youth audience. It's really about attracting subscribers into the service. And then when they get there, that there's other content that we know that they'll enjoy. Um, so I think that's important that we commission to complement what we're getting from our international partners. Now, obviously, you know, we've got things like Halo coming through next year. We're not going to try and make Halo in Australia, but we know that that will attract a particular type of audience. So we need to ensure there's other product that that Halo audience will enjoy when they get there. So I think, you know, things like Last King of the Cross and Five Bedrooms, all those things are very tactical in terms of um, you know, how we will commission that content. I, I also think, honestly, as the streaming services and, you know, lots of streaming services are doing it, the, the audience just get um, a better service because they get more niche offerings that service them in a very particular way. Do you think, um, I, I mentioned Last King of the Cross because it was, it's been sort of whispered about in the industry for for a few years now, and there was it's a really great get, I think, for for Paramount Plus because even though it's still a way off, a lot of people will be thinking, "Oh, look, I'm I definitely going to want to watch that when it arrives." And it makes me think back to House of Cards, what that did for Netflix. Mm. I mean, the early days before Netflix launched here, I I made sure I could get get access because I wanted to see House of Cards. And for a long time, that was all I wanted to watch, but it was, it was enough to keep me in the, in the Netflix universe. Do you think it's still the case that as long as you've got a couple of show key products that appeal to people, they'll just keep ticking the subscription over? Yeah, I think you have to have a couple, probably more than one or two. I think you have to have, you know, quite a few over the course of a year of really marquee series that appeal to a range of different and you know your house of cards or your last king of the cross for somebody else that's a different show so i think that's the that's kind of the beauty of it um but also it is about the com the competitive nature of the price point if it's 9 bucks a month and you're enjoying it you're like we don't want to give our audiences a reason to you know to turn out um, so we want to make sure that they feel like for $9 a month, this is a pretty good offering. And when you think of something like Infinite, it's a theatrical movie with Mark Wahlberg. Um, you know, sadly, the theatres in most of the country are not open at the moment. But to see a movie of that quality in your own home for $9 is a pretty good deal. So we think there's a lot there to really attract audiences and, and keep them there. And of course, you know, we know that we won't get everything right straight up and we will improve the content offering and tweak the content offering. I think it would be silly for us to think, you know, day one, we're set. I think we're day one is day one and we will continue to evolve and constantly try and improve what we're doing. But I think even from the beginning, because of the nature of our, you know, the relationship with our parent company, there'll be pretty good content there right from the get-go. I, I wonder too, maybe, Jared, this is for you. I think it's been running in the US for close to six months, I think, the, the platform. Um, have there been learnings you've been able to take on? I'm not expecting you maybe to share them all, but but have you been <laughs> have you been able to look at what they've done and and how the audience has reacted so far? <clears throat> I know this is a bit of a common saying, but I think we're learning every day. I think even those in charge of the US business um, have had a huge amount of learnings uh, every single day, some of which um, they've, they've been working with us on as we've led up to launch. And indeed, as we look at other markets, which will that will launch um, 
uh, early next year, we are we are working with those markets already to share with them our experiences in the lead up to launch. So I think that uh, it, it's one of the many benefits of being part of a global organisation who has kind of lived experiences at different um, points of the maturity cycle. Um, so yeah, we're certainly improving as we go along. Um, you know, and and hopefully. Uh, although it's probably unlikely that the time you get to the last market, they benefit from the other 45 countries that have already launched. <laughs> and, um, Jared, this is for you too probably. How, is, how have you set up Paramount Plus within 10? Is it, is it its own sort of, I don't know, division? Are there, are there sh- you probably share back of house, I guess, but are there many executives working across both and does it have many of its own separate uh, team? Um, the way in which we view our, our business um, in its entirety in Australia is, is is one entire ecosystem. You know, you will see that you can't watch 10 or 10 play at the moment without being served something about um, Paramount Plus. Um, and indeed, the windowing strategy on content will, will, will sit across our ecosystem moving forward also. And indeed, that's the way in which we run our entire business. We have had to, um, as, as would be expected, bring in some specialised skills, which have more of a streaming lead um, in some of our areas of the business. But it's a it's a fully integrated team. Um, as I said, there are some people with with um, who have a, a stronger lean towards streaming. But the way in which we view our organisation is that uh, we all work we all work together. We deliver functionally across our distribution channels, um, and that's a really big focus and one of the great benefits we think of having a a multi distribution channel um, business with a global content pipeline. Um, with a business like Ten and your, the the um, the free to wear broadcast channels. You're judged, of course, on your performance every day at uh, at nine o'clock or thereabouts when those ratings pop out, and, and everybody's, you know, an expert and willing to pass judgment. Streaming platforms, it's a little bit harder to find out what's going on. Sometimes they release figures, sometimes they don't. What um, what can you say about targets you've set yourself for, for judging your performance in this market? The targets we've set ourselves is to ensure that we've got great quality content, that we've got a um, interface which users enjoy the experience of, um, that we've got um, outstanding cross promotion of the content and visibility to the content that's that's going to be available, and that as we receive feedback through um, from subscribers, uh, particularly in the early days, but but along the journey that we respond to that and that we engage with them. We speak a lot about respect for eyeballs and respect for hip pockets. Um, they, uh, there is great engagement from Australians in, in streaming services and the content that they provide, but it's provided on the condition that you respect it and that you continue um, to deliver wonderful content at um, incredible value, which is what, which is what we um, think we are delivering as part of Paramount Plus. So we know that if we get those things right, the outcomes look after themselves. You know, you can do no more than than those things. Bev, you talked about the, you know, one of the, the key points of difference being movies. Um, and you mentioned, you know, when you have some what will be first release movies virtually on the platform, eight ninety nine a month suddenly doesn't sound like a lot of money, does it? Do, do you think there'll be at least a sort of a major movie release sort of monthly? Um, I think um, as we go into next year, it is it's more likely to hit that sort of rhythm. We have fantastic 
blockbuster movies on the service right from the beginning. But the first, so we have a couple of exclusive movies in this in this back half of the year. So there'll be not only um, blockbuster movies, but they're completely exclusive to the service, including um, that theatrical window. As we move into next year, it is more likely that we will get a rhythm of regular um, first run movies coming through. Um, honestly, that's probably one of the areas a little bit impacted by COVID. As you would know, some of the theatrical release schedules have just shifted around and they're still shifting. But that is certainly the intention that by the time we get into early next year, that rhythm will have ramped up. In the meantime, we have great blockbuster movies and we have proper proper exclusives in this back half. Um, how much of this is the future of the video business? Do you think, I mean, we've seen the free-to-air audiences slip a little bit as people adapt to different ways of watching. They watch a lot on catch-up as well as watching live. Do you think for the foreseeable future, streaming platforms will coexist sort of equally, if you like, alongside the, the broadcast product? Yeah, we absolutely see it that way. I think um, we we believe in the compelling proposition of, of the platforms that we um, currently distribute through. We think there's a place for all of them. Um, they offer something a little bit different each to to their audiences, um, you know, and, and we can't see that changing in the foreseeable future. You know, when you talk about whether people are watching through linear or, or catch up at the end of the day, they're, they're coming to watch, you know, a free ad supported product um, of, of the same of the same quality. Um, it's been viewed in a slightly different way. Uh, but you know, we think there is there is still a, a massive audience to be served there, and, and we're really confident about our our prospects, both from a linear perspective and and through ten play. Do you need to get your um? Well, it take it's obviously going to take a little while to get your Australian commissions to a level where there'll be a substantial library of content. To people that look at the offering straight away and think, oh, this seems very US focused. What, what what do you say to that? Well, I think there, there's lots of quality, like world-class content on there, as there is volumes of world-class quality content on services like Netflix and Disney. So I think um, audiences, when they watch streaming, have an expectation. Um, the benefit of a service like Paramount Plus is you get five bedrooms, but you also get Halo. If it was a completely local service, you wouldn't be getting Halo and Dexter and Yellow Jackets and American Rust and all of that. So I think Australian audiences have a very sophisticated television palette and they want those big world-class, you know, tens of millions of dollar productions as well as some local originals. So what I would say is um, what Paramount Plus will offer is the best of everything. And the, the volume of local content will certainly ramp up but it's there from the beginning. Um, and that's something that was really important to us. So we're very happy to have it there from the beginning and it will certainly ramp up. And I think not, not all the other streaming services had it there from the beginning. And then of course, as we move later in the year, we'll also have local sport, which is incredibly important. So we think communicating with Australian audiences with Australian stories is critical, but also having that world-class content is equally important. Not that there's anything wrong with um, US content, of course. And I, I'm always reminded that when I look at your ratings for Ten Bold, I mean mm. that that does some staggering share sometimes. And yet you look at the lineup, and it's um, you know, it's 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 lots of programs that um that, that come out of your US um studios, isn't it? And it does very well. 
It is it, Bold is actually the number one multi-channel and it is largely built off the back of what you would consider to be CBS's primetime schedule. Um, and, you know, it's NCIS and FBI and Bull and Hawaii Five O and all of those shows. And they're really high quality shows with high quality scripts and showrunners and talent attached. So you would expect them to do well. So uh, you're, yeah, that's a really good observation. That schedule is completely built on quality US content. Yeah. Yeah. Look, before I let you uh, both go today, and look, it's been good to get these insights about Paramount Plus. Is there is there any key programming you think might um, might sort of you know grab an audience? Things that um, things that might build. So I guess a lot of this. I mean, you you'll do a good job on marketing, I guess, but a, a lot of it's word of mouth, isn't it? Shows that take off on social media, then then and and people start to think, oh, look, I've I've got to find that. Where can I go and get it? Are there are there shows like that that think you might think, you know, we'll, we'll get a life of their own. Um, yeah, I think so. I think what they will be, it, those shows are kind of different for everyone. I think some of the shows that you probably, that are not super high profile yet, um, you know, we have a show called Two Weeks to Live um, with Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones. That sort of show is the kind of show that will is more likely to get a word of mouth kind of cult following. We also have, you know, the reboot of Dexter. The things that are certainly being talked about when you look at all the social, there's a lot of conversation around the reboot of iCarly. Like iCarly was such a big show. And also, you know, SpongeBob's got a spinoff called Camp Coral. So the interesting thing is, I think it depends who you are as to what the word of mouth will be. There'll be audiences, we think, talking about spreadsheet because it's kind of a female-driven Australian comedy, and that's relatively unusual. Um, I think we're expecting that, but I think across the range of content, there is something for everyone to talk about. There will be a show on there for everyone that they can say to their mates, I saw this, it's great, I've never heard of it before. You know, there's just such a broad range of content. And as we move into next year, we obviously, um, you know, have a big range of content. Um, you know, we have the offer and, you know, all the Mayor of Kingstown and all those sorts of things that we really haven't started talking about yet. So um, there's a lot to come, even as early as September, we have three or four new originals to launch in September and then in October and then in December. There's just lots and lots to come. Jared? I think what's what's beautiful and mysterious about all this, James, is you can you can kind of plot your path around what you think is going to be popular and what you think is going to be your, your hit shows. And indeed, we do lots of conversations and lots of testing about that, but we never really know um, when we get into it what's going to be the next Queen's Gambit or... Um, you just don't know until people start watching things and they take on a life of their own. And I think that's what's really exciting about about the service and, and kind of some of the uncharted waters for which um, you venture into is you only find out in a few months' time or um, 12 months' time, you know, in our next conversation, wherever that might be, James, and we look back on this conversation and think, were we right about that? And I bet you there's two or three things that really surprise us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... Um Thanks, Jared. That's that's one of the things that intrigued me about a streaming platform. Now, with all due respect to Bev and her programming skills, it puts the power in the in the viewer, doesn't it? You become your own program, and you go, okay, I'm going to watch this, and I'll watch it here, and you decide, you know, what you're going to watch at, at any given time, and you you can stack up the shows. Uh, look, it's been great talking to you both. Uh, before I let you go, Jared, numbers man. Now it's eight ninety nine a month. Yep. Is that's right, uh, and Bev, is there a discount for loyalty? There is a there's a 12 month offering for 89.99 and a seven day free trial. So, um, we think it's a really competitive offering. Is it priced keenly at launch? And you 
you might have to lift that price or or do you think you'll be able to hold that for the for a while? Well, I think like all businesses, you consider your pricing strategy as, as time um, passes by and you look at the business model and and you consider the value proposition of, of, of your content offering and like all organisations will continue to, to consider that into the future. But um, certainly as, as we sit here at the moment, James, we've got um, a phenomenal value proposition for, for viewers. I mean, it, it really is when you think about the depth of the content, um, you add live sport in, in football into that and, um, you know, for the price of a couple of uh, cups of coffee a, uh, a month, you know, it is incredible value. Price of half a movie ticket too, isn't it? It's um, it's, it's a good spend. All right, look, that's great. Look, thank you very much. Um, Bev McGarvey, Jared Villani, good luck with the launch. And, yeah, look, I've um, almost had the invite for Jared there to come back and maybe find out how it's gone in maybe six or 12 months and find out what you've learned from, from the viewers. So, yeah, good luck with uh, Paramount+. Plus. Great. Thanks, James. Appreciate your time. Thank you.